Amen. If you would open your Bibles to 1 Peter 2, I think we're going to finish the second chapter tonight. I've kind of been looking forward to this passage. It's a passage that I think about often, I go to often, I pray, I quote from it. I, when I'm saying my personal prayers, I go to a lot of, uh, of this. It's almost daily something that um, is a blessing to my life. And so if you would, I know it is to yours as well. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through the end of the chapter. For even here too were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow in His steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth, who when He was reviled, reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not, but committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously, who His own self bare our sins in His own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible makes that clear throughout the, the, the whole uh, Old and New Testaments that we are the, the sheep. That's just a description that's given. And that all we like sheep, it says in Isaiah 53, that wonderful chapter about the first coming of the Lord and His suffering on the cross, that all we like sheep have gone astray and turned every man to his own way. And the Lord laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. And uh, now by faith in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross as God's only Son, that Gospel message was brought to you and I at some point. We responded in faith. The Lord gave us the faith to believe. And He saved us by His grace. And we have returned unto the shepherd and bishop of our souls. Now, pastors called the shepherd and things like that. And there are literal shepherds that shepherd over sheep. But the picture is given that we as the people of God are His sheep. And He is the good shepherd and the bishop of our souls. The good shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. There's a difference between a hireling who's getting a paycheck and may be dedicated up to a point. But the Good Shepherd shows that He's the Good Shepherd and that He's laid down His life for the sheep. He's already done that. God has commended His love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's already done that. And we just rejoice and benefit from that. But really, what I would like us to, to talk about, what I think the Lord would have us to talk about, kind of talking about it all together, this whole passage, the Bible says that Christ is, has left us an example by His suffering. Okay, now remember when He comes again, He's coming like William sang about. He's coming as that King of kings and Lord of lords. He's not coming in a, as a humble servant. He's the same God. He's the same you know, Son of God. But He's coming not in the same manner or for the same purpose because He did what He did the first time. Next time, He's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. And He's coming to reign. But at His first coming, He, coming, he suffered. And it's not just a physical suffering, because other people in the history of the human race have suffered greatly physically or for starvation or hunger or trials or tribulation. And all those mentioned in Hebrews 11 that the world's not worthy of, right? They suffered. And, but, but on top of the physical suffering, it was the fact that Christ became sin for us. Nobody's ever experienced that, especially sinless God, deity from eternity past that's sinless. And, and he had to, to bear that reproach of the sins of people that he loved. The whole world. Even sins that you and I have not, maybe tomorrow we're going to commit. I pray we don't. But that sin, tomorrow's sin, he bore. You know, and if he tarries in, in 100 years from now, all those sins still to come. And he, on that one moment on the cross, he bore all of that and he suffered. And he left us an example that we should follow in his steps and it talk and so we're going to look at Christ among other things. He's many things to us, okay? But among other things, we're going to look at him tonight as the Lord and what he did on the cross, but also as our example through this earthly life. How did he live his life when he was here? Okay? What kind of example did he leave us? Does that mean you and I have to go be nailed to a cross and be spat upon and have a crown of thorns? Uh, no, it's not what he's talking about. He's talking about Philippians 2, where he humbled himself and became obedient. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That mind, if we're to look it up, is not just his mental capacity. Okay, You know this, but the mind has to do with his will. 
has to do with his will. When you look it up, let this will be in you, you could say, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what was it, Lord? What was your will? Who uh, thought it not robbery? Though he was God, he didn't think, you know, he, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. He took upon him the form of a servant. He didn't just have men humble him and put him in his place, so to speak. He chose that life of humility. And, and because he did, now he's crowned with the crown of all glory in the name above every name. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him. That's always the pattern. You know, we saw it through Hebrews when we studied that, but it's always the pattern, even for you and I as well. This, this we can follow as an example. The humiliation and then the exaltation. All right? The suffering and then the, then the joy that comes in the morning. You know what I mean? The, the valley of darkness and then the mountaintop. Uh, that's always the picture that's given. We mentioned those in Hebrews 11 that were sawn asunder and wandered about destitute in caves and wearing animal skins for their clothes and, and, and you know, nailed to a stake and set on fire and thrown to the lion's den and all these different things. They had their suffering and their humiliation, I guess you would say, and their trials and their tribulations, which is common to all men, the Bible says. All right, everybody goes through trials and then put a Christianity on top of that, and then they're suffering for Christ's sake that the world doesn't even know about. You understand what I mean? There's just hardships of life that every human being goes through. Then on top of that, for Jesus' sake, there is an extra measure of trial and tribulation that's put on our lives. And we go through it. And the Lord says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And He brings us through it. And He's going to exalt us. We're going to reign with the Lord. We're going to reign and rule with Jesus Christ. There is coming that, that day. And the only way we're going to get there is by faith. We're kept by the power of God through faith, says in 2 Peter chapter 1. Mm -hmm. Kept by the power of God, thank the Lord it's not our power, through faith. And when our faith's weak, He'll strengthen it. And He'll encourage us because there are many times, there's probably not a day goes by where we don't need our faith encouraged, built up, and strengthened. So anyway, I want to read a quote by Matthew Henry because it's talking about specifically uh, when he was reviled in verse 22, he didn't revile again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. That specifically is a verse that I'll hang my hat on a lot. Where I'll sit upon it and I'll stand upon it and I'll think about it and I'll give it back to God and say, Lord, I want to do that. I don't want to take matters in my own hand. I don't want to run around trying to put out every little fire. I don't want to run around trying to uh, defend myself. I want... Where you leave me to do it, I'll do it. But it's beyond me. It's beyond me. Okay? It's beyond you. But we can do this. We can by faith say, Lord, I'm committing myself to you. Thank you. Who judges rightly and righteously. And Lord, you've got it under control. And you are going to bring, I've been using this scripture the last couple of times, he's going to bring forth our righteousness as the noonday. He, it will show forth. And all we'll do at that point is say, Lord, it's all glory to You. You kept me. It's Your righteousness. But still, the, the lies and gossip and slander and division in the world hates us and maybe others in the church hate us or whatever. And yet, God's going to do it. He'll do it. He'll bring forth Your righteousness as the noonday. Bing! It'll just be shining and everybody will know it and every mouth will be stopped. And what can anybody say? Because the Lord's going to say, this is My servant in whom I'm well pleased. And he's going to hold up Eric, or he's going to hold up Sherry, he's going to hold up Chris, and he's going to say, imperfect, but I've washed them in my blood, and they've kept their, their eyes on me, and their faith in me, and I'm not ashamed to be called their God. And he's going to bring forth our righteousness as the noonday. And so we commit ourselves to him. Matthew Henry said, because the temptation is when we're, when we're threatened to do what? Get on the same level, Right? If you're playing a sport or something, that's fine. That's the nature of that game, all right? Somebody, uh, you know, playing football and somebody hits you this hard, you need to hit them that hard back. If somebody's this quick with a basketball, you need to try to be that quick or quicker with the basketball. That's, that's the nature of that game. It just ends in that little arena right there. But when it comes to our morality and our Christianity and our faith in God, there's a different standard. 
And that standard is when he was reviled, and he's our example, he didn't revile again. What were they saying about Jesus on the cross? That this is, it's hard to imagine that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who could have called a thousand angels or ten thousand angels and gotten himself off of there and done whatever he wanted to all his accusers and persecutors and everybody that was around him and shown who he was and shut their mouths. And he's saying, forgive them, Father. They don't know what, what they're doing. What were they doing? They're crucifying the Son of Glory. And the Bible says, had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of Glory. But they didn't know it. And so Jesus is saying, forgive them. And they're putting a crown of thorns and beating them and spitting and, and mocking, literally mocking someone who loves them and who's dying for them. And they're mocking him. Let's see if you can get, oh, you know, you said you're going to save others. Let's see. You know, if you get yourself, come down off the cross and we'll believe. Well, no, they ought to be thankful he stayed on the cross. You know what I mean? That's where he purchased our redemption, my redemption. I'm thankful he stayed on the cross. But he didn't revile again. And so the temptation is to get down on the same level. Somebody lies about you. Well, I'm going to get even with them. That's in our humanity and in our flesh. The temptation is still there even though we're Christians. But we don't do that. We don't give in to that, okay? There's a higher standard and a much higher reward coming for walking that out. And sometimes it takes a lot longer than what we would want. You know, somebody says something or hurts us or stabs us in the back, and we would like by 5 o'clock that evening for him to have it all straight, you know? But it might be 50 years. It might be at the rapture of the Lord. It might be by 5 o'clock tonight. I don't know. But I know it's going to happen. The lies are going to stop. The gossip's going to stop. The truth is going to be known. Uh, he's got it under control. There's a great peace in knowing that He has it. And I don't have to have it like that. I just have to have Him. Matthew Henry says, provocation to sin can never justify the commission of sin. The reasons for sin can never be so great, but we have always stronger reasons to avoid it. I mean, it's a pretty simple statement. But he's saying, when you're being tempted and provoked, and we would say, well, Lord, just even if we didn't bring the Lord into it, and we said, I was just, they just pushed me too far. I could only take so much. They pushed me too far, and I snapped, or I did this, or I did that. And that's not what the Bible says. It's not what Matthew Henry's saying. It's not what the scriptures teach because of the, the constraint and the, the discipline and the control and the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is not a religion, it's a new life. Thank you, Lord. And if I'll yield to that, that is greater than the temptations that come my way. Provocation to sin can never justify the commission of sin. Because y'all, we're not just getting even with that person, for example. We're sinning against God. If they lied and gossiped and slandered and say, you know what, I'm just going to tell a little white lie about them. I'm going to get this, this started. Bring them down a peg or two. Don't do that. You're sinning against God. You're sinning against your fellow person, but you're, the sin is against God. And He knows it. Then we have to come to Him and ask forgiveness. And the Bible says, do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And so there's so many reasons to not do it. And so everything in our flesh would be prone to do it. That's where we have to grow in Christ, right? We have to mature in the Lord. I need to mature in the Lord. I don't stand behind this pulpit of saying I'm perfected in this. I stand behind the pulpit saying this is what God's Word says. This is the truth. And it's possible for you and it's possible for me. And we can grow in that. And God wants us to. So I'm going to get into the, the study just a little bit here tonight. And uh, I'm going to get back on this thought about sheep for a little bit. And we would have perished had the Lord not been a good shepherd and rescued us. Because when a sheep goes astray, you're just out in the wild in nature, a real sheep, okay? And he, that shepherd's there to protect them because we talk about it all the time. The sheep itself is no match for just about any creature out there. Okay, a lion, a bear, a snake, a wolf, a coyote, you know, whatever. A uh, thief, whatever might be coming out there, they're really no match for it. They're not even match against nature. You know, they're, they're ignorant. They might just fall off a cliff. They might starve to death when, when food could be right around the next corner. They might die of thirst when the river's right there. I even heard that, that uh, sheep are led to still waters to drink because if it's rushing water, they'll have their, 
their face point in the wrong direction, they can drown in fast moving water. I mean, really, you know? Aren't you uh, honored that the Lord compares us to sheep? Uh, but we would have died apart from the Lord. Okay, died in our sins and be forever separated from the Lord. He's a shepherd of our souls. Of our souls. That has to do with eternity, that which is created in the image of God that is in man. And He's the shepherd of our souls. And now we're turned around. You know, we're turned back. We've come to the Lord by faith in Jesus. And so, what did the Lord do? We talked about it somewhat that this, this example to follow, that we should follow in His steps. All right? It has to do with suffering in part. And that's what certainly what Peter's talking about here. Suffering. It's not that the Lord gets some thrill out of it. It's that it's the path that He's chosen for us to walk through in this life. The suffering and then the glory. right? The suffering then the rest. The trial, the work, the effort, the labor, and then the rest that's coming. And the good thing is the rest is for eternity. The joy and the painlessness and Ecstasy and exalt, you know, all of that's for eternity. And the, the suffering is for a little while. For a little while. For a little while has, is how the Bible describes it. For a season, if need be. For a little while, right? And so we can handle it. We can't handle it on our own, but we're not on our own. Lean on the Lord. Call upon the Lord. Stand upon the Lord. Call His promises to remembrance. Be filled with the Spirit. Ask for a fresh new filling of His Spirit. Uh, walk in the Spirit. Gather with the believers. Ask people to pray for you. Pray for them. You know what I mean? And cast your burdens upon the Lord because He cares for us. But His example is that, that He suffered and He could have chosen an easier path. But that's the path that He chose and that's the path that the Father chose for Him. And so we need to be content to know this is the life and the Christian life that God has chosen for us and not despise it or not hate it. What if you were laid up in a sickbed and you're young, you're in your 20s or something, and you're, your lot in life finds you that you're uh, bedridden or something like that. You're thinking, this is not fair. This is not normal. Somebody in their 20s shouldn't be in this kind of condition or 30s or whatever. And yet, we can surrender to the Lord. I think about uh, Fanny Crosby, and she wrote that song, uh, I shall know him, I shall know him by the prince of the nails in his hand, right? When redeemed by his side, I shall stand, I shall know him by the, by the prince of the nails in his hands. And I heard this, tell me if I'm wrong, that uh, when somebody once asked her, well, I guess she'd gotten a little more famous maybe through her songwriting, that uh, she was blind. And someone asked her, was she angry at God that she was born blind? Was she depressed, disappointed, thought it was unfair that she was born blind? And she said, no, because when I can see, the first face I'll ever see will be the Lord's. I mean, that's just where you have to say that's otherworldly. That's, that's, there's a suffering, but she didn't look at it as a suffering. She looked at it as this is what God's chosen for me. God could heal her. God can open blinded eyes. And I bet probably in her lifetime, she prayed for her eyes to be open. But the Lord says, I'm going to open your eyes and I can promise you where she is now, they're open. Okay? And she, she sees the Lord. But uh, there's a suffering to this life, but it doesn't have to be sheer misery. There's a suffering and that the, Paul said that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection. We all want that one, right? The power of the resurrection. I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection and in the fellowship of His suffering. Being made conformable to His death. Remember His death on the cross. Let this mind be in you. That death, the cross always is representing uh, death to ourself, uh, death, death to our, will, our own will. And it's a, it's a one-time thing where you give your life to the Lord and it's a daily thing where we daily have to choose to die to my own will. Okay, so there's a one-time thing and there's a daily thing. Take, deny, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. That has to do with the walk. And so, uh, Clendenin used to say, if you saw a man carrying his cross in, in the days of the Roman Empire, I know I've shared this before, you might not know his name, you might not know what crime he committed, you might not know how old he was or anything about him, 
If you saw Mary carrying a cross out of town, you knew he wasn't coming back. That's one thing you did know. Alright? And so we're to take up that cross daily and deny ourselves and walk with the Lord. The Bible says in Philippians 1, Paul says, on behalf it's given unto us, on behalf of Christ. So think of what does God give us? Every good gift, every perfect gift is given unto us on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his name's sake. Expect it. And if we thought it was strange concerning the fiery trial that was to try us, as though some strange thing was happening, we might be think we've made a mistake somehow, or God's made a mistake, or this is not how it's supposed to be. But He tells us that is how it's supposed to be. But He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's with the three Hebrews in the fire. He's with Daniel in the lion's den. He's with Paul when the boat's you know, out on the, sh- the ship and they couldn't see the sun for two weeks or however long they were out there. He's with us. Jesus suffered, and these sufferings are common to man. Common to man, and then certainly common to Christian man and woman. It's part of it. And so um, the, the, the Lord has chosen that the sufferings that we go through would strengthen our faith. And He's chosen that the sufferings we would go through would cause us to really press in or cling to the Lord even more. You know what I mean? Like, we're just kind of going through life. We're glad we're saved. We love Jesus. And then the trials come, and we're going to be looking for Him, and we're going to find Him. We're going to be pressing in. There's testimonies of people right here in this room that said when we're going through a really hard time recently, we prayed, we fasted like never before. Well, you've already prayed in your life. You're praying people, you're Christian people, you're born again. But the trial caused you to press in. God wants us to live a life like that, pressed in. Okay? Not just a seasonal thing. And the sufferings that we go through are never more than we can bear by His might. But they're designed for that. They help lay a foundation in our life. You know what I mean? Uh, Paul saying, I was shipwrecked and this many times I received these, this many stripes on my body and I was in prison and I was beat and I was spat upon. And one time he was stoned and left for dead and God raised him up. And all these different things happened to him. And every one of those, he says, I bear in my body the, the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Literally, he did. He could show you the scar from you know, Philippi and this is one I got when I was in. Uh, whatever town, Antioch, wherever I was, in Ephesus and faced the beast in Ephesus and all the different things. And all of those were foundations. Like another level of the, the foundation of the building of his life was laid in those sufferings. And we could just get bitter and mad and walk away from God. Or we could get bitter and mad and not walk away totally from God but just sort of put our Christianity on autopilot. You know, but that's not what they're designed to do. The sufferings of the Lord. There's a designer. There's a Father who's in charge, and He's put those sufferings in our lives to make us more like Jesus. If we'll let Him, the Lord chose that for Jesus' life. Can you imagine that? His own Son. That's the path He chose for His Son, not out of cruelty, but because that's what He chose. I want to read a couple of scriptures. Turn with me, if you would, your Bibles to First Corinthians four. We'll come back to First Peter. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but let's read 9 through 12. For I think that God has set forth us the apostles last, as if as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise. He's being a little sarcastic right here. We are weak, but you're strong. We are honorable. You are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst. Now Paul's describing his life. I don't think he hungered and thirst when he was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees and had his position, but didn't know Jesus, right? And was a persecutor of the church. There was a, a worldly prominence that he had and a position and respect and power and probably wealth and things that went with it. But he says, from unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked, and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place, and labor, working with our hands, being reviled, does that sound familiar? From our passage tonight, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. I'm just going to stop stop there. Is this not the teaching throughout the Bible of how we're to follow in Christ's steps? He's not complaining about it. He's saying, 
this is how it is. This is a reality. But he wouldn't trade it for anything because I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. I want to know him. We well, already know him, Paul. You're already born again. You walked with him for years. By the time he wrote that in, in Philippians 3, he might have been, you know, say for eight years or more. I don't know. But he already knew him, but it says, I want to know him. I want to know him more. I want to know him in a deeper way, and I want to know him in ways I haven't known him heretofore. I want to know him in, in the fellowship of his suffering. Because he suffered. Right? The Lord suffered. And so, this is part of our lot in life. It's not a horrible part. It's a real part. It's a Christian part. It's a God-ordained part. It is part of your calling as a Christian. You're not going to find the Christians that are serving God. They're going to find a way to escape it. If you're serving God, we're going to, you know, we're going to face it. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, Paul tells Timothy. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But the Lord's going to be with us, okay? And so, uh, He bore our sins. Looking back at 1 Peter 2. Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. He did no sin, neither was God found in His mouth. And then it goes on to say, who His own self, in verse 24, bear our sins in His own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. That's a very simple truth, but it's a very powerful truth. There's not a greater one in the Bible that He bore our sins. I'm just going to read this quickly. You can turn if you want, but I'm going to read from Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. For time's sake, I'm going to go ahead and start. Who gave Himself for our sins that He might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Alright, so He gave Himself for our sins that He might deliver us basically from our sins and from this evil world. Again, a, a simple truth. We really got into that. Remember in our study on Wednesday nights through Hebrews, we really talked about Him being that sacrifice for the sins of the world, not the blood of bulls and goats, but He Himself, a body the Father prepared him for Him. Self. Okay? And so he bare our sins on his own body on the tree. And uh, it was really, I believe, the pressure, as I said earlier, of the weight of the sin that would have been the greatest suffering for the Lord. The physical sin and suffering, I mean, the physical suffering and pain he endured was great. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. He had a body like our body. And yet, I believe the pressure of the sin or the weight of the sins of the whole world being put upon him. You know, and if you'll read in the, and I just happen to be reading in the Old Testament now, going through, I'm reading in Leviticus, and just this week I was reading about the scapegoat. You know how there were two, two that were brought? One was going to be slain and be the sacrifice for the sins, and on the other animal, the goat, uh, the priest was to put his hands upon the goat and confess the sins of the people. Like literally confess them, adultery and you know, idolatry and pride and covetousness and you know whatever, and confessing those sins on the head of this goat, and then somebody that was trusted would take that goat way way out into the wilderness, long way away where it couldn't find its way back, and turn it loose, and it was to basically bear their sins away to carry their sins away. So there was a sacrifice without the shedding of blood. There's no remission. There's also the carrying away of the sins. And, and I was just reading in, in one of the books I was reading that those Jews, it wasn't just a priest that even a man that committed a sin, he would put his hands over that goat and confess his sins. And it says they would, literally the translation is they would lean hard upon it. So it wasn't just lightly touching it like you pet your dog on the, on the head. Okay, They were leaning upon it and putting the weight of it almost upon that innocent in the sense it's just an animal but still it wasn't guilty of what the sins that were being confessed over it that it was going to bear in God's plan and they're leaning heavy and putting their hands upon it and confessing their sins well that's Jesus bore our sins on the cross he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and so uh, the Bible says that uh, 
once in the end of the world hath He appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Isn't that a wonderful Scripture? Once is from, from uh, in Hebrews. Once in the end of the world hath He appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Nobody that ever suffered in humankind ever suffered in that particular way or to that extent. Nobody ever. Even if you took a bullet for someone, for example, or took the punishment of someone else, it's a temporal thing. Okay? People, Secret Service will dive in front of a bullet to save the, the president or who they're guarding. I admire that. Okay? But still, that's not the same as Jesus taking the sins of the world upon Him. The just for the unjust. The righteous for the unrighteous. And so His body was made a sin offering. And... Uh, He's, he took all of that punishment and, and it, it sufficed. It was enough. The Lord says, stop. It's enough. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus gave up the ghost. He was buried in accordance to Scriptures. He rose the third day accordance to Scriptures. He's exalted at the right hand of the Father. He sent the gift of the Holy Ghost. But that's been done. It's a finished work. And He says, enough. That's enough. Okay? It's enough. No more blood has to be shed. We're to take up our crosses daily and present ourselves as a living sacrifice for the Lord. If in our lifetime He calls you or me to lay down our lives for the Lord in a physical sense, then He will give us the strength to bear it in that moment, in that hour. Okay? And, and I just I know He will do that. And so, we see it all through the Bible. But the stripes that He bore, it says, by whose stripes were healed... Now that is a quotation from Isaiah 53, right? Who's by whose stripes you are healed. We get to 1 Peter 1.24 and it says by whose stripes you were healed. So it's just the only change there is are and were. Alright? Because the Lord finished it. Now I would agree. When I, I've read some commentaries that say that's speaking about the healing of sin. By far, I, I'm in total agreement with that. And we said that by His stripes we're healed. That whole chapter in Isaiah 53 is talking about sins, transgression, iniquity laid upon the Lord. I don't argue with that at all. But I also do believe it includes the physical, the healing for our physical bodies. And I wanted to read one scripture along those lines. Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. This is if you ever had an argument with someone, not an argument, but or even question it yourself, and somebody, some theologian just told you, no, that, that's just talking about healing from sin. By far, the biggest thing is our healing from sin, because that has to do with spiritual, and that has to do with eternal. The physical bodies are not eternal. But it includes the healing of our bodies, and I'll show you where. Romans 8, I mean, Matthew 8, 16 and 17. Look at this, it's a great passage. It says, when, when the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And He cast out the spirits with His Word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. I mean, that's a great Scripture to deal with that. Is forgiveness of sin infinitely more important than a healing of a body? Ask Fanny Crosby. Okay? Yes. The forgiveness of sins is far greater and there's no comparison. And the work on the cross had to do with our sin. But the Bible says that this was a fulfillment of His healing of our bodies. Right? That prophecy from Isaiah. And we saw it fulfilled in Matthew. And so I don't think at all, and there's so many other Scriptures as well that tell the believer, if any sick among you, let him call upon the elders. Right? And let him anoint with all the prayer of faith will save or heal the sick. So I don't... I just am saying that because this, this is a study and it's a teaching. And I think it's good that we know that and understand that. But uh, we're going to move on just a little bit more. Now, this is real important. In verse 24, now remember He's our example. This whole passage about, is about Christ being our example of how to live our lives. In the second half of verse 24, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness that we being dead unto sins should live unto righteousness. These are... We, we could preach for weeks on that little portion. Okay? How are we dead to sin? And if I'm dead to sin, why is it any struggle to live, to refrain from sin or to, 
resist temptation or to not sin or to live righteously. There, there's, remember our study on holiness and we talked about a positional holiness or sanctification that is done. It's a fact. If a man's in Christ, he is said to be sanctified, justified by, the, by grace through faith uh, in a right standing with the Lord. It has to do with a, there's no condemnation. It has to do with a legal sentence pronounced over your life. D is in Christ, and the moment she gave her life to the Lord, the Lord pronounced a non-guilty verdict over her, an innocent verdict over her life. She, the Lord justified her by His grace. He did that. He is just and the justifier of them that believe in Jesus. And He's forgiven us and He's cleansed us. But then He calls us, there's a practical walk with God. There's a practical righteousness. The Bible talks about that too. I'm not pulling this out of thin air. I'm trying to get you to believe something that this pastor always believed or something like that. We laid out the case in three sermons. Okay? There's a practical holiness where there's a call. As He has called you as holy, so you be, be holy in all manner of what? Conversation, which is what? Lifestyle, conduct, behavior. So there has to there's more than just my standing in Christ, which is real and a blessing, and I'm thankful if I sin bad today, I'm still going to heaven because the Lord sees me as being just and righteous. I belong to Him. He knows who belongs to Him. He's not confused about it. He sees us covered in the blood of Jesus. You might have the worst fight with your wife and said the most horrible things as a Christian and not even had time to ask for forgiveness yet. But still the Lord has justified you. This is not easy believism, okay? That is a fact. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. We walk not after the Spirit, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Alright, so that's a done deal. Then there's a practical holiness that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. Does it mean live unto? That means get up every day from now to the, Lord, the time the Lord calls us home and walk worthy of the calling wherewith you're called. Walk a holy life. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication, it says in 1 Thessalonians 4. For God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto sanctification and holiness. There's a call of a walk, okay? Where we get up every day, and me looking at filth on TV is not a holy walk, even though I'm a believer. What would be holy walk? Turning it off, walking away, setting my mind on things that are good, lovely, pure, any praise, any virtue to think on these things. You see, in both instances, I'm still justified freely by His grace, sanctified in Christ Jesus, but this has to do now with my behavior. It honors God. My sin does not honor the Lord. It doesn't glorify Jesus. And guess what? It doesn't bless you either. Your sin that was fun, pleasure of sin for a moment, a season, does not bless your life. There are consequences to it. Even though when we're forgiven, we've talked about it, talked about it before. If somebody's an alcoholic all their life and, and they give their life to Christ, they might still die of scoliosis from the liver. They might still bear the scars of their alcoholism in their body. They might have lost their family because they were addicted to alcohol. They might have lost all their money in their job because they were drug addict or alcoholic. It's just an ugly picture of sin and yet totally cleansed and forgiven in Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? And righteous and going to reign with the Lord forever and a new creature in Christ. And yet in this life, there are still consequences. So the call of God is a call that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. I just want to read this from this book that I've been studying. In the sight of God, we're reckoned as being so identified with our Lord. Okay, that's sanctification. He says, dead in His death, raised in His resurrection, seated with Him in His glory. Remember what the Bible says? We've been made to sit together with Christ Jesus in heaven. These are factual statements about any believer that's a true believer. Alright? And it should be the purpose. Now he's shifting it now to the conduct. It should be the purpose and aim of the believer by faith and actual to actually practice this. And that's what we've just been talking about. Actually practice. I'm justified. I'm holy in Christ. I'm sanctified. I'm forgiven. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit's in my life. I'm, yeah, all this, all that we would say that is actual, He says it ought to be the aim of our life to now walk in that. Let it be 
our practical experience. You died. Reckon yourself dead. You're arisen. Set your affection on things above. You're seated in heavenly places. Then walk worthy of your high calling. By the grace of God, there should be a perpetual deadness to every appeal that comes from the flesh, the world, or the devil. And an ever fuller response to the appeals of the Holy Spirit and what He's called us to do. Do you see how that's an increasing thing? That's why we're here tonight. It's not, that's why we didn't just come to church once after we got saved and say, I'm good. That's why we meet continually in the early church, met daily, and prayed and fasted. Why? Because it's an incremental. The salvation is a one-time, instant thing. I'm new in Christ. You can do a whole message on what happened to us when we got saved and write it all down. And every bit of it's true. And then there's getting it up and walking it out day by day. And to get it up and walk it out day by day, I need to grow in the Lord. Okay? I need to mature. I need to get to the point where things that I used, sins I used to commit, I don't commit anymore. Then I'll deal with some new ones that come down the road. Or some old ones that have been hanging on. But there has to be a progression in this thing. And that's what he's talking about. And so it needs to be like a desire of our heart. A perpetual self-denial. Perpetual setting up a cross. The cross of the Lord in our lives. And a conformity to His death. Drinking His cup. Baptism into His death. Okay? And into His sufferings that He went through. So let's look at this. The sufferings... I'm going back just a little bit. We're just going to be a few more minutes. But back in verse 22, I think it's important that it says, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So... We could sit here and it wouldn't take us two seconds to think of some of the sins we've committed, probably even today, okay? But it says of the Lord, He did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. Jesus said this, and it wasn't arrogant. He said it to His accusers. Which of you convinceth me of sin? Or convicts me of sin is really what He's saying. Nobody could. If I stood up, and especially with people that know me the best, and I said, who of you can convict me of sin? They said, where do you want us to start? You know? And they pull out a book this thick, and that's just day one. Okay? They could convict me of it. And I would say, that's true. And I would just acknowledge it and say, it's under the blood. Thank God it's under the blood. But you're right. I did that. I did that, and probably a lot you didn't seem to do. Alright? But Jesus didn't sin neither was guile found in his mouth. And I love the way that this uh, author puts it. He goes, uh, no lamb or heifer, now thinking about the Old Testament sacrifices, was ever searched for blemishes as he was. I mean, you know what I mean? Those, they had to find a spotless lamb physically to bring, one without a blemish and a male, and couldn't be lame in one leg or something like that, or a blind eye or anything like that. They had to bring a perfect lamb. And nobody was ever searched as thoroughly as Jesus. He had not only his friends with him, he had his enemies looking for that chink in the armor, looking for the thing that they convicted him of, and they couldn't find it. I want to read uh, Luke 23. This is Jesus on the cross, and he's hanging between two thieves. We know the story. Luke 23, let's read 39-41. And one of the malefactors which was hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, rebuked the other thief. I can see this conversation going on, you know, where they're hanging up there with Jesus in the middle, the guy trying to lean over and look. He rebuked him. Dost thou not, dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man had done nothing amiss. And he couldn't say that about anyone else. You understand what I'm saying? It's this spotless lamb who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Again, uh, even Judas who betrayed him right before he hanged himself said, I betrayed innocent blood. He knew I betrayed innocent blood. Pilate found no fault. Herod couldn't find any real fault. They had false witnesses and Jesus was just silent. It was almost like this silence was his, was his vindication or His testimony. His silence was speaking louder than all them 
trump, those trumped up charges against him that weren't. And he just stood there as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. There was also great strength in that because he had a purpose. He didn't know, Pilate didn't take his life. He says, I'll lay it down of my own accord. And I don't have to get down this level and tit for tat with all my accusers. He was, he was dying in his father's sight. He was dying for the sins of the world. He was doing what God told him to do. He was going to be vindicated. And, and he is vindicated. That's our example. He didn't sin. Well, we did. When he was reviled, he didn't revile again. He had no guile was found in his mouth. He was misrepresented and misunderstood. I'm about to close. But you would agree with that. Misrepresented and misunderstood. Again, always think about times he's real popular. You go around healing everybody that's blind and casting out demon possessed demons out of demon possessed people and making lame people walk and feeding them when they're hungry some miraculous way and preaching beautiful things that people, you know, just, oh, we never heard a man speak like this. You're going to be pretty popular. They wanted to make him king. And then it, literally in a matter of days, they want to crucify him. And the same people, many probably which had been healed, possibly, were saying, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. And so he was misunderstood, misrepresented, and uh, he was opposed and hated by those he yearned to save and those that he came to save. That in, that, in that sense, with that mindset or that heart, okay, is how we're to be like Christ in our example. Again, we're not going to be nailed to the cross. We're not the Son of God. I'm not claiming to be. You understand? I'm not trying to be following His steps in that sense. I'm trying to follow His steps and what we were called to by the Lord is that when we're reviled, we don't revile again. When we're threatened, we don't threaten not. But we commit ourselves to Him who judges righteously. That's what Jesus did. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? A wonderful statement. It's a rhetorical question. Abraham asked the Lord because he already knew the answer to that. And so when you're going through something unjustly, unfairly, let's say specifically for your Christianity, being misunderstood, lied about, hated, persecuted, and you're praying for those people, and you really want what's best for them, in your heart of hearts, you want what's best for them. And perhaps they're lying about you, gossiping, saying all kinds of horrible things about you. In their minds, their in hearts, they might think and have made up the most horrible things about you, and they believe it, or they have convinced themselves to believe it. And yet, you in your heart of hearts love them, and you pray for them. And, and that's what the Bible tells us to do. That, in that sense, we're following in His footsteps. And so God has a reward for that. Uh, the life in Christ has to pass through that suffering. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 that the Lord chose for His Son Jesus to, to make Him perfect, so to speak, or completed through sufferings. That was the path that the Lord chose for us. So I would simply say in closing that we're to expect to be reviled. Expect it. Certainly expect it from the world that doesn't know the Lord. And then we see it oftentimes within the church just being misunderstood. Expect to be reviled. Expect to be buffeted. Then you're not surprised when it happens. Don't get bitter. Don't get hard in the sense I'm hard-hearted and nothing can touch me, nothing can penetrate my heart or anything like that. Let, just die to yourself. Let the Lord live through you. He can handle it. His shoulders are big. He can bear the weight of it. He's, he's not going to leave you. He's going to help you. And He's going to bring forth your righteousness as the noonday. Okay? Our end is going to be glorious. We kind of open tonight with that. Even with the songs that were sung about the Lord's kingdom. Our end is going to be glorious. If we die, the Bible says, we shall also live with Him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. Ye are, the, ye are they, the Lord says, which have continued with me in my temptations. Don't you want to be that person? The Lord said to His disciples right before He went to the cross, you're the guys. You're the ones that have continued with me in all my trials and all my temptations. You stayed with me. In the Bible, and I'm going to close with this, uh, and he says, I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me. We have to see that by faith. We have to know that by faith. 
We need to spend time with our Lord and Savior daily, weekly, continually to where the things of God are more real to us than the trials and tribulations that we're going through. The reality of heaven, the reality of rewards, the reality of the rest, the reality of exaltation and glorification with the Lord, which He's promised, is going to come the closer we walk with the Lord. Okay? The closer we walk with the Lord. We talked a lot about Micaiah lately, but he says, right? He says, I, I saw the Lord. All these other 400 prophets talking out the top of their heads, all kinds of spiritually sounding stuff. It was false. They didn't know God, didn't walk with God, had not heard from God, had not seen from God. Micaiah says, I saw the Lord. And I saw the whole host of heaven on his right hand and on his left. And that kind of just settles the issue when we see the Lord. And so, Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. And God, I thank you, Lord, that you have chosen a life. It's not a life of misery, but it is a life that includes suffering. And Lord, we can read in the Gospels and we can read through your word and we can read other godly men through the Bible as you are our example that we should follow in your steps. And you never sinned and God wasn't found in your mouth. And we've sinned plenty of times and we've had plenty of God in our mouths. And yet, Lord, that's still what we're called to, to the life we're called to live and to walk. And you promise us, God, in your word, you said where it's impossible that God cannot lie. You promise us the glory at the end of this road at the end of the race, at the end of the good fight of faith, at the end of the course that we finish like Paul. And he said, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not for me only, but all those that love His appearing. God, we love Your appearing. We long for it. I pray You'd strengthen us. Each young person here, each uh, adult God, every believer, every man, woman, and child, You would strengthen us, God. It is not easy. You understand that it's hard. You're not... You're not a stranger to our infirmities, but you're familiar with our weaknesses and acquainted with our, our pain and suffering, Lord God. And I pray that you would strengthen us by the inward working of the Holy Ghost, by Christ in us, that you would strengthen us to walk, God, in such a way that glorifies our Lord and Savior, that's like our Savior. We do it for Jesus' sake like we talked about last Wednesday. When you were wrongly accused or mistreated and you say, just take it for my sake. Take it for my sake. Take it because it pleases me. Take it because it glorifies me. Lord, would you strengthen us and help us to do that? And I just want to encourage you all tonight, take a few minutes before you leave. Get with the Lord. Meet with the Lord. This is really the point of the service where you take that word that God has spoken and we say, okay, Lord, I, want to, I don't want to be a forgetful here. I want to be a doer of the Word. Would you take that Word, give me understanding. Would you impart it to my soul? Would you make it part of my heart and life in reality? That I would live the way that you call me to live. Would you strengthen me? Would you forgive me where I've sinned? Would you forgive me where I've failed? And you confess those sins to God. And He's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us. Father, we just lay our lives at the feet of Jesus. God, we're so grateful just to be redeemed and to belong to You. Forgive me when I've complained about suffering, being misunderstood, mistreated, being reviled, falsely accused. There's enough true things people can say about me. Wash me in your blood, God, and strengthen me to where you get the glory back out of my life that you deserve, Lord. In Jesus' name, thank you.